0: Welcome to the Red Light Report, your number one source for all things red light therapy, where you will learn how to optimize your health, wellness, and longevity with the power of photobiomodulation. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Belkowski. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Red Light Report. It's another beautiful February day up here in Montana. The snow is melting. The sun is coming out. And it feels like spring is right around the corner, so I'm very much looking forward to uh, being able to get outside, start doing some more trail running, and really soaking up those full-spectrum sun rays on a more consistent basis. But I got some really exciting photobiomodulation research for you guys, both on the skin front, skin being one of the most popular reasons people get into red light therapy. So some cool stuff on red light therapy and a particular skin condition, rosacea, and then We're going to go through a review article that we actually covered initially, the research article in December, I believe, relative to red light therapy and the glymphatic system, or more specifically, how red light therapy can affect our brain during sleep versus wakefulness. So there's a review article that just came out that's actually not released until March. We're gonna really go through that and kind of just review some information from the article, but really delve into it a little deeper and see what the implications are if we are able to eventually irradiate our brains somehow during sleep to optimize our lymphatic system. Because I I think covering sleep and red light therapy is huge because sleep is one of those things. It could be at the very, very top of the list for all things health, wellness, and longevity or health span because it really does dictate every other facet of our health. So covering sleep is really important. And so that's the second article we'll go over. But before we dive into the research, I just want to take a moment and announce that we have officially passed 100,000 downloads of the Red Light Report. And again, you've heard me say this before if you're a longtime listener, listener, milestones like this have nothing to do with me personally. It's not like I've invented this research or I've invented uh, this information I am divulging to you guys. I'm really only a conduit of this information, meaning I'm just reading it, learning it, and regurgitating it to you guys. And also, a huge part of the success of the red light report goes to my, my guests, them taking the time and the energy out of their busy schedules to share their expertise and their knowledge, because I've sure learned a heck of a lot from every single guest I've had on here. So a lot of the success again, goes to the guests. And just quite frankly, the interest over the couple of years I've been doing this podcast now, the interest in red light therapy has grown significantly. While I'm a conduit for the information, the information of red light therapy, the interest in it, I should say, is just exponentially growing. And so I think really this milestone, let's say of 100,000 downloads, really speaks to the interest in red light therapy. And that's exciting to me because as you guys know, I'm very impassioned by the endless benefits that red light therapy can provide. It really puts... Your health back into your hands. It's very liberating and freeing, especially in this day and age where you have to be your own best advocate for your health. No one else is going to look out for you. A lot of people just have to search out different types of options, holistic options, alternative health options, because allopathic hasn't worked for X, Y, or Z reason. Because as we all know here listening, the red light therapy ultimately treats the root cause of a vast majority of diseases and health conditions and otherwise can help prevent or mitigate you from getting or contracting those diseases if you're otherwise healthy. So it's a preventative and a health span enhancing strategy on top of all of that. And as you guys know, I like to say this a lot, but it's non-invasive, non-pharmaceutical. You can do it in the comfort of your home. So again, what's not to like about red light therapy? So I just want to say thank you to every single person that listens and supports this podcast. Again, that 100,000 downloads is about you guys and the information. And again, my guests who have been sharing their information as well. Here's to the next 100,000. But without further ado, Let's move on to this first article that's on rosacea, and this came out in August of 2022, and it is entitled, The Effects of Photobiomodulation Therapy on Inflammatory Mediators, Immune Infiltration, and Angiogenesis in a Mouse Model of Rosacea. We're just quickly going to go through the abstract on this one. if you wanna read the nitty gritty details we'll we'll leave the link to this article in the show notes so you can feel free to go check it out and There is a full PDF version if you want to read the entire thing but again we'll we'll just kind of go through the abstract here so you get a sense and idea of what they did and what they found once we reached the conclusion. But rosacea is a chronic skin disorder with increasing prevalence and challenging management. And photobiomodulation therapy, they postulated, may be a promising adjuvant treatment for rosacea. What they did for the methods, they investigated the efficacy of photobiomodulation therapy for the treatment of rosacea lesions in a well-established mouse model using a combination wavelengths of 590 and 830 nanometers. And what's interesting about that is, traditionally speaking, red light is 600 to 700 nanometers. And then from about 800 to 1,000 or so is that near-infrared. So they have 830 for the near-infrared, But that 590 is getting more so on the side of orange versus red, if I'm not correct. So that is kind of interesting. But regardless, they had female mice that were randomized into three groups they had a control group, a model control group, and then the photobiomodulation group. And so, of course, mice in the photobiomodulation therapy group were administered red light therapy at the wavelengths of 590 and 830 nanometers. So again, in theory, they're getting a combination of red and near-infrared. And so they don't have the specific protocol, so to speak, in the abstract. So I did dig a little in the article, and this is what they had to say for the photobiomodulation therapy protocol. They said, the parameters of the photobiomodulation therapy were as follows. One, the treatment light was a combination of 590 and 830 nanometer wavelengths, and two, the energy was 25 milliwatts for the 590 wavelength, and 50 milliwatts for the 830 nanometer wavelength. The light source was set 10 centimeters away from the skin, which is approximately 4 inches. And when they did treat the skin of the mice, they treated with the red and near-infrared light for five minutes each time. So the total irradiation time was 15 minutes for every mouse throughout the whole treatment. So that they did five minutes per day for three days. And again, they have a little table here that outlines all of that information. And what I found interesting, again, I'm guessing this is for the entire experiment because they said total time, five minutes each time for 15 minutes total. So the total energy of the quote-unquote red light, again, 590 is still closer to amber or orange, but we'll move along from that now. But they said for the 590 that the total joule energy was 22.5. So 22.5 joules. And then for the near-infrared light, 45 joules of total energy. And so when I first looked at this chart, I was kind of taken aback at that energy because I thought that was per treatment. And if you look at a lot of the uh, protocols in the Red Light Therapy Treatment Protocol ebook, a lot of the treatments don't even get into the double digits, let alone for skin, which we know is traditionally one of the lowest dosage treatments for red light therapy. So when I saw 22 and 45, I kind of knocked my socks off until I realized that that was for the entire experiment. So you have to divide that by three. So if that were the case, they were getting seven joules of energy of red light and then approximately 15, which is still quite a bit, 15 joules of energy of near-infrared light per treatment. But let's move back to the abstract now. So that's how they did the photobiomodulation protocols, and so the severity of the urethema, inflammatory cell counts, the expression of key inflammatory mediators, and the degree of angiogenesis and immune cell infiltration of the skin lesions were evaluated by a particular type of staining, immunohistochemistry, and immunofluorant staining. A lot of big words there. Welcome to science. In a nutshell, that's how they were able to measure improvements or lack thereof regarding red light therapy and rosacea. And so moving along to the results here, they go on to say photobiomodulation therapy significantly decreased the urethema scores and inflammatory cell infiltration of rosacea lesions in mice. Further studies reveal that photobiomodulation therapy Downregulated the increased expression of inflammatory mediators and angiogenesis markers and attenuated the dysregulation of immune cell infiltration in mice with rosacea. So, in the end, the conclusion is this investigation suggested that photobiomodulation therapy can improve the rosacea condition by regulating key inflammatory mediators and dysregulating immune infiltration and angiogenesis. So, again, this is only on a mouse model, not on a human model, but still a pretty positive step in the right direction because I've had countless customers and clients and family members and friends reach out regarding rosacea. It's a relatively common condition. It is not fun to deal with, and there aren't necessarily a ton of alternative treatments out there that are super effective and efficacious so having this research article out there again this is back from august of last year hopefully we can get more and more research articles specific to rosacea and other skin conditions like eczema because that's another super common one people reach out about but still positive research in the right direction regarding rosacea specifically hopefully we see more and hopefully on humans in the near future just to get the further proof in the pudding as i like to say But again, and I'll say this this is not medical advice, and this is just me speaking as if I was talking to a friend in the room right here is that you don't have to wait for the research to prove that something works to use it for said condition. So if I'm dealing with eczema or I'm dealing with rosacea, and I've had people reach out about root canals and cavitations, if you're wondering if red light therapy can work or you're wondering if red light therapy can be safe, Just think about the principles of red light therapy. What does it do? It modulates inflammation. It improves circulation. It optimizes cellular energy via the mitochondria. So if you're dealing with eczema, rosacea, cavitations and root canals, could those three mechanisms improve your condition or at the very worst, mitigate uh, the worsening of that condition? And if the answer is yes, and then secondly, Is red light therapy safe for that condition? And my answer to that is there are no contraindications in the research. There may be some, I don't want to call them complications, but there may be some interactions with particular drugs you want to look at or learn about. But overall, red light therapy, as we know, it's just a form of light that we get from the sunlight. So yes, it's safe for humans. So again, just because there's not research doesn't mean A, it doesn't work, or B, it's not safe, do your own research. You can reach out to me via email or on social media, and I'd be more than happy to help if I can. I will kind of drop this bomb in the middle of this episode that I should have mentioned this at the beginning, but I am gonna be starting a subscription model on Instagram where I will be releasing exclusive content for those who are in the subscription It'll be specific information on research, specific information on protocols. People will be able to ask me medically related questions that I would otherwise not answer in a public forum for liability reasons. So if you want some more detailed information as it relates to red light therapy, be on the cutting edge of the research as it comes out, on protocols as I release them in real time. And again, if you want medically related questions related to red light therapy that you want to ask me directly then go to the BioLite Instagram page, which is BioLite.shop, and click the subscribe button. It's just a monthly payment where you'll have access to all that information as it comes out. And I'll be producing a lot of content for my subscribers, so I'll be sure to make it worth your time. So I just wanted to announce that. Should have done that at the beginning, but here I am in the middle of a diatribe, so I thought this is as good as any other time. (laughs) But anyway, my whole point with this rant was, you don't have to wait for the research to prove that something works to use red light therapy for it. Red light therapy is extremely safe. You can kind of experiment around with it. You can, you can take the protocols that are currently in the ebook and extrapolate from that. But again, do your own research. Again, you can reach out to me specifically through that subscriber method on Instagram. And if you have a particular question medically related, but again, the whole point is Just be a critical thinker, do your own research, and just understand the fundamentals of red light therapy and utilize that for a particular condition you're trying to treat for yourself or a client or a friend. So that's all I'll say on that for the moment. But again, very positive research for red light therapy and rosacea. Well guys, the holiday season may be over, but you can still save big. We've had this for some time now. Biolite has what's called bundles. So simply go to the Biolite website, biolite.shop, go into products and there'll be a tab for bundles. With each of these bundles, there's three of them, you save 20% off on the entire package. For example, we have the beauty bundle, which includes a shine and stand, a guardian plus, and the Longjev revive cream. So that bundle of three products, you save 20% off the entire package. There's the recovery bundle, that includes the Recharge Plus panel, the Guardian mouthpiece, and then the Longev Recover Cream. And that Recover Cream is just like the Revive Cream except it has added CBD oil infused into it. That package of three items all comes at 20% off. And then the last bundle, which is the most versatile bundle in the sense that you get to pick and choose what products you want. You get to pick and choose from the Recharge Plus panel, the Restore Plus panel, or the Matrix Full Body Matte. And then you get to choose between the Guardian and Guardian Plus, and then you get to choose between the Revive and the Recover Cream. It also includes shine and stand so you get to choose between black and silver by purchasing those four products in the ultimate bundle you save 20% off all of the products you also save 20% off shipping so literally the entire package and shipping is 20% off so if you're ever needing some red light therapy products and are looking for a discount just remember the bundles are always 20% off 365 days a year no coupon code necessary so let's move along to the big dog piece of research we're going to cover today. As I alluded to in the intro, it's about photobiomodulation and sleep. Again, this is a review article out of Neural Regeneration Research. It's going to be released March of 2023, and it's entitled Lights at Night. Does photobiomodulation improve sleep? And so again, this is a review of that article we covered in December about the difference between photobiomodulation during wakefulness versus sleep. So we're just gonna go through the highlights of this review. And by highlights, I mean, there's actually quite a bit of information we're going to cover. And so some of it may be review, but a lot of it is going into different avenues and different details about the importance and the concepts of the glymphatic system and all the repair and regeneration that happens during sleep, and what potential impact photobiomodulation could have if we can find a way to implement, I guess would be the near-infrared light during sleep or during night. So buckle up and and enjoy this review of the review. (laughs) So again, light at night, does photobiomodulation improve sleep? So in the introduction, they go on to say that The brain is considered to have two quite distinct operative states. The first is the state of wakefulness, the so-called daytime brain. In this state, the brain is in a conscious mode, being receptive to and interactive with the environment. It is engaged fully with the generation and orchestration of complex neural circuitry associated with the executive functions such as focusing attention, being cognitively active, encoding memories, and undertaking skilled movements. The second is the state of sleep, the so-called nighttime brain. In this state, the brain is in an unconscious but arousable mode and is far less receptive to the environment. Although the precise function of sleep remains a mystery, notwithstanding the considerable amount of time and effort invested by both scientists and philosophers over many centuries, there is recent evidence indicating that it is associated with a housekeeping function. This function involves the disposal of all the metabolic debris and waste products that have accumulated in the brain during the day. There is a cleaning of the house, so to speak. These waste products need to be cleared, otherwise they accumulate and become toxic. The brain undertakes this housekeeping function largely by using a flow of fluid that sweeps across the spaces between its constituent neural cells, taking all of the waste products with it, draining ultimately into the venous system. This housekeeping function is not, in fact, too far removed from Aristotle's original ideal all those centuries ago that sleep serves to help filter, cleanse, and refresh the body and brain. So, moving on to the discussion portion of the article, they go on to say that if individuals are deprived of quality sleep, that is, adequate periods of slow-wave sleep, and the brain does not clear its waste products effectively, then many negative consequences may develop. For example, during the day, individuals are generally less attentive, have a slower cognitive function and memory recall, and or may have problems with motor functions. In essence, the higher-order executive brain functions are diminished. The factors that contribute to poor quality sleep are extensive and varied. They may include the following, medications being used, food and water intake, stress levels, and environmental factors. I guess light would be an environmental factor. It does not improve the older we get. In particular, those over 60 years generally have reduced periods of slow-wave sleep, resulting in shorter and lighter sleep patterns, interrupted more often with multiple awakenings. If sleep deprivation becomes chronic, then the consequences become even more severe. There is an increased risk of developing a range of serious medical conditions, including cardiovascular disease, hypertension, diabetes, obesity, psychiatric illnesses such as depression and neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's disease. Conversely, individuals who have consistent patterns of good quality sleep tend to live longer and suffer less disease later in life. And just stepping away from the the article here for a moment, that is why shift working deteriorates your health exponentially. If you are a shift worker or know someone who is, it literally ages you at an accelerated rate. It does terrible things for your physiology. Even if you become, quote unquote, used to the the night shift work, it's not good for your biology. When you completely inverse the sleep-wake cycle, meaning you're awake during the dark and sleeping during the light, I'll just ask you to review the series I did last January about the impact of light through your eye Or the other way to think about it is the lack of light and the impact it has if you don't have that light sending the signals through your eyes to your brain and and the downward domino effect that it has. If you're not getting those signals, you're missing out on a lot of physiological health benefits. So again, I mean, simply said here, conversely, individuals who have consistent patterns of good quality sleep tend to live longer and suffer less disease later. I guess I'd be interested to see if those who are shift workers If they have what's considered quote-unquote consistent good patterns of sleep, what does their health look like? I still have to think it's suboptimal compared to those who are sleeping when it's dark and awake when it's bright. But regardless, just some food for thought there. Moving along here, in general, the mechanics and organization of the glymphatic system are as follows. Cerebrospinal fluid passes through the perivascular spaces surrounding the arteries and then into the interstitial space of the brain via a water channel protein called aquaporin-4 located on the vascular end feet of the astrocytes. The flow of fluid is polarized directionally being driven largely by arterial pulsations which push the fluid out of the interstitial space and then into the perivascular space surrounding the veins. The fluid then leaves the brain via a series of lymphatic vessels within the meninges. These very delicate meningeal lymphatic vessels drain subsequently into the cervical lymph nodes. This drainage is rather rapid. Contrast agents introduced into the cerebral spinal fluid in the brain can be detected in the deep cervical lymph nodes within minutes. From there, the fluid and waste products are emptied ultimately into the venous system. There are at least five additional features of the glymphatic system that are worthy of further comment. First, the system is under circadian control. The activity of aquaporin-4 has been reported to be greatest during sleep and least during wakefulness, and a loss of aquaporin-4 from the system leads to an elimination of sleep-wakefulness difference in glymphatic activity. Second, there is a clear age-related decline in glymphatic activity in both fluid inflow and clearance. Third, the activity of the glymphatic system is also very much reduced in disease. For example, after subarachnoid hemorrhage or multiple microinfarction, as well as in neurodegenerative diseases such as Alzheimer's disease. Fourth, linking closely with the last feature, there are indications that there is a topographical pattern of glymphatic flow across the brain and that this pattern appears to correlate with the general topography of pathology in Alzheimer's disease. The stagnation and trapping of fluid within the brain have been suggested to encourage the aggregation of proteins in the interstitial space and to promote the onset of disease. Finally, in addition to its waste elimination role, it has been suggested that the glymphatic system is involved in the distribution of non-waste products, for example, glucose and various types of neurotransmitters across the brain. Okay, so all of that was a nice review of the brain wakefulness versus sleep, the importance of the glymphatic system, and the role it plays within repair regeneration of the brain, it decreases with age, it decreases with poor sleep, it decreases with poor circadian rhythm. So all those play a role with the lymphatic system. And the glymphatic system is important for removing detox and keeping things moving, so to speak, as it relates to your brain. And so ultimately, what does that have to do with red light therapy? Or another way to say that is how can red light therapy benefit our glymphatic system, which has such an important role on our overall health. So this section here is entitled Evidence That Photobiomodulation Helps the Garbage Disposal System of the Sleeping Brain. Photobiomodulation, the application of red to near-infrared light on body tissues, has been shown recently to improve the clearance of fluid and toxic substances from both the periphery and from the brain. In the periphery, photobiomodulation, Uh, at the wavelength 1,267 nanometer, which is near-infrared, a long form of near-infrared, prompts the clearance of fluid through the lymphatic system through a relaxation of lymphatic vessels, presumably after a photobiomodulation-induced release of nitric oxide, together with an increase in the permeability of lymphatic endothelium. In the brain, Photobiomodulation leads to an improved clearance of experimentally introduced substances, for example, gold nanorods and dextrin, into the cerebral spinal fluid. Further, and most importantly, photobiomodulation has been shown to reduce beta amyloid brain accumulation and cognitive behavior of Alzheimer's-induced mice more effectively during sleep than during wakefulness. It also reduces beta amyloid deposition in the interstitial space and stimulates the overall flow of interstitial fluid, as well as inducing the breakup of beta amyloid assemblies and activating enzymes that reduce beta amyloid aggregation. In addition, photobiomodulation, when applied to normal mice, prompts a much faster clearing of beta amyloid from the lateral ventricle of the brain down to the deep cervical lymph nodes at the night than during the day. Finally, photobiomodulation, again at that 1267 nanometer, has been shown to stimulate the clearance of fluid within the lymphatic vessels of the meninges. The efficacy of these delicate vessels is crucial in clearing beta amyloid away from the brain. The precise Photobiomodulation induced mechanisms that underpin the improved fluid clearance and disposal of waste products of the sleeping brain are not clear. Several have been suggested, however. For example, the ability to break down protein aggregations and to stimulate vasodilation, at least within the meningeal lymphatic vessels, after a release of nitric oxide, may be a contributing factor. Photobiomodulation may also impact the composition of cerebral spinal fluid by changing the structure of the water molecules, making the fluid less viscous and freer flowing. It is likely that many other currently unknown mechanisms are at play also. In particular, the mechanisms behind the photobiomodulation-induced stimulation of the glymphatic system remain to be determined. We speculate, however, that photobiomodulation may work primarily to increase the permeability of the aquaporin-4 water channels on the astrocytes, thereby helping to increase the flow of fluid through the brain. It should be noted that the range of wavelengths of light considered as photobiomodulation, which they cite as 600 to 1,000 nanometers, has not been shown to suppress the brain release of melatonin, the key hormone in maintaining circadian rhythm and sleep. In fact, these longer wavelengths have even been suggested to promote the release of melatonin, which can only be of benefit to a better night's sleep. Further to this point, photobiomodulation has been reported to induce sleeping and prolonged sleep duration in mice. Blue light which is 380 to 500 nanometers, by contrast, has the reverse effect by suppressing melatonin release and prolonged nighttime exposure results in a poor quality of sleep. And of course, that's why we want to be wearing blue light blocking glasses, especially when the sun goes down, if you're gonna be in front of some sort of blue lit screen technology. And so towards the end of that discussion, they go on to say how there are a myriad of photobiomodulation devices for the brain for wakefulness. And of course, there are benefits to that, such as helping with any type of neurodegenerative disease, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, can also help with mental disorders, such as depression, even anxiety and stress, other psychiatric diseases. And of course, you know, with the new research coming out, we have things like TBIs and concussions that photobiomodulation seems to accelerate the recovery for. But again, there's a myriad of those types of devices for wakefulness, brain health benefits. But we need to figure out a way to yield this technology while we're asleep for the glymphatic system's sake. And everything that was outlined in this article are the benefits to be had by keeping the glymphatic system active and healthy, especially as we get to the later stages in our life. So that's kind of where the next phase of this research is hopefully headed, is finding different ways that that near-infrared light can penetrate at particular times during the night to optimize our lymphatic system, to optimize getting rid of that toxic waste and debris you know, out of the brain into the lymph and venous system below so it can be expelled elsewhere properly at that. That's the exciting part of that article. Well, all of it's exciting and good information, but looking towards the future, that's where this research is headed on this topic specifically is finding ways to utilize photobiomodulation on our brain while we sleep. And so the conclusion is, we suggest that nocturnal photobiomodulation by stimulating the function of the glymphatic system of the brain at night will form an effective non-pharmacological treatment that helps improve the overall quality of sleep and hence the well-being and long-term health of many individuals. So that was much more eloquently put than i just said it but regardless pretty cool information again we'll leave the link in the show notes so you guys can check out the full article and the full review if you so choose and lastly i'll just go over a pretty cool article uh that is out on the internet it's on sci daily.com so science technology daily again we'll leave the url or the link in the show notes, but it's SciTech Daily. And it's an article from early December of 2022 about transcranial photobiomodulation for improving short-term memory. And this comes out of the University of Birmingham. And so the article itself is entitled, non-invasive laser light therapy could improve short-term memory by up to 25%. And so they have a nice little review of what transcranial photobiomodulation is and then they go on to say that previous research studies have shown that laser light treatment will improve working memory in mice. Additionally, human studies have shown that transcranial photobiomodulation treatment can improve accuracy, speed up reaction time, and improve high order functions such as attention and emotion. However, this is the first study to confirm a link between transcranial photobiomodulation and working memory in humans. And so, Dong Wai Lee, a visiting PhD student in the University of Birmingham Center for Human Brain Health, is a co author on the paper. He said People with conditions like ADHD and other attention related conditions could benefit from this type of treatment, which is safe simple and non-invasive with no side effects. Moving along here, in the study, scientists at Beijing Normal University carried out experiments with 90 male and female participants aged between 18 and 25, so certainly a younger demographic like those in, in college, so to speak, and participants were treated with laser light to the right prefrontal cortex at wavelengths of 1,064 nanometers So, near infrared light, while others were treated with a shorter wavelength, or treatment was delivered to the left prefrontal cortex. To rule out the placebo effect, each participant was also treated with a sham or inactive transcranial photobiomodulation treatment. And so, after the transcranial photobiomodulation treatment over 12 minutes, The participants were asked to remember the orientations or color of a set of items displayed on a screen. The participants treated with the 1,064 nanometer laser light to the right prefrontal cortex showed clear improvements in memory over those who had received the other treatments. While participants receiving other treatment variations were able to recall between 3 and 4 of the test objects, Those with the targeted treatment were able to remember between 4 and 5 objects. So data, including from uh, electroencephalogram and EEG, monitoring during the experiment was analyzed at the University of Birmingham and showed changes in brain activity that also predicted the improvements in memory performance. The researchers do not know yet why the treatment results in positive effects on working memory nor how long the effects will last. Further research is planned to investigate these aspects. Professor Ole Jensen, also at the Center for Human Brain Health, said, We need further research to understand exactly why the transcranial photobiomodulation is having this positive effect, but it's possible that the light is stimulating the astrocytes, the power plants, in the nerve cells within the prefrontal cortex, and this has a positive effect on the cell's efficiency we will also be investigating how long the effects might last. Clearly, if these experiments are to lead to clinical intervention, we will need to see long-lasting benefits. So that's the end of the article there, but pretty darn interesting. They're looking at short-term memory and how it works in humans, and it's kind of interesting, I thought, that the Professor Jensen there was giving the benefit of the photobiomodulation treatment to the astrocytes and calling the astrocytes the power plants when, of course, we know that nerve tissue is very mitochondrial dense. But regardless, I will read to you the end of the actual scientific article here because I did track it down and just gave it a quick look through. It is very, of course, as many of these research articles are, very dense with scientific jargon. So it's kind of a dry read but regardless i'll read the end of the conclusion to you here they finish the article by saying thus transcranial photobiomodulation is suitable for promoting clinical applications in individuals with memory dysfunction such as patients with ADHD and AD of course alzheimer's disease however transcranial photobiomodulation will depend on stimulation parameters such as the power density wavelength dosage, and location. Further research work is needed from the biophysical and neurobiological aspects to use the full potential of transcranial photobiomodulation before it can be applied to improve cognition in healthy and clinical populations. And also in this article, towards the end, in the discussion section, they were talking about the impact that hair plays in and being able to get light through the hair or how that uh, is obviously deterrent in getting light to the brain. So it is very interesting that that is another uh, hurdle that's going to have to be figured out. But I'm sure with the technology we have these days, we'll we'll find a way to get these types of photobiomodulation treatments and make them efficient and effective but regardless pretty cool to see that they're working on short term memory because of course especially when you have a neurodegenerative disease parkinson's alzheimer's dementia the first thing to go is your short-term memory you almost always retain long-term memory but it's that short-term memory where do I leave my keys uh what do i need from the grocery store uh, what what am i doing here in this room that type of stuff so if photobi modulation can improve that short-term memory the impact that could have for individuals dealing with those types of issues would be immeasurable. So I really hope that they're able to kind of perfect this protocol, this idea behind improving short-term memory. Because as we know, especially in the U.S., as we get older, as the population ages, the baby boomers, we're getting a lot more people in that age range where dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's is becoming a bigger deal, And a bigger percentage of the population could be running into these types of issues. So if we can mitigate it, prevent it, and even reverse it, that would be truly amazing. So those are the things I wanted to cover today, guys. We covered some pretty cool stuff. Rosacea, the potential for red light therapy to help with that. Of course, impacting sleep for the better via the glomphatic system. And then the potential to optimize short-term memory, especially those uh, dealing with ADHD or those with a neurodegenerative disease, again, improving short-term memory. So pretty cool stuff. And trust me, I got plenty of more research that we'll be covering in future solo-sodes as we sprinkle them in between some upcoming interviews I have to release. So regardless, thanks for sticking with me, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode. And as stated before, thank you all for listening and supporting this podcast and getting it to 100,000 downloads. I'm excited for the next 100,000 and beyond and continuing to bring you guys the most recent and up-to-date photo biomodulation, health and wellness, longevity, health span, information that I can and for my guests that I'll have on the show. So again, thank you all. Have a fantastic week. And again, I always like to finish solo. So by saying if you haven't already, please go leave a quick five-star review either on iTunes or uh, Spotify takes 15 seconds just click that five star rating so that way this podcast can get ranked a little higher and more people can learn the information that you have learned about in these podcast episodes so that they can have their health and wellness improved through the power of red light therapy you guys have an amazing week and i'll see you on the next episode thank you for listening to the red light report if you like what you heard today go ahead and leave us a review on itunes and other podcast platforms to help spread the word so other people can learn about the many health, wellness, and longevity benefits of red light therapy. If you're looking for more educational content, check out our Instagram page at biolight.shop and our YouTube channel, Biolight. I'm Dr. Mike Belkowski, and I'll see you on the next episode.